Hey, I'm Alicia Bake. I'm Jen Greenfield. And I'm Jen Tifoni. VO Booth Besties listen to the questions you have. We find pros in the know to help you learn. And connect with our amazing VO community. Welcome, Welcome to, to VO, VO Booth, Booth Besties. Besties. Welcome, everyone, to VO Booth Besties VO 101. The goal of this series is to provide current and credible information to folks who are newer to the industry and want to learn more from pros who know. There is so much information out there, and it can be quite overwhelming. We hope to ease those feelings. Have you joined our weekly email list? Swing by boothbesties.com and shoot us a message with your email, and we'll get you added. And if you haven't joined our VO Booth Besties Facebook group, join us there too. As usual, if you have a question as the interview goes on, simply drop it into the chat and we'll do our best to fit it in. Hang with us till the end of the show. We've got some announcements. Now, without further ado, let's meet our guest. Over to you, JT. Thanks, NJ. Our guest today is Almeida Bainan. She is the executive producer for Harper Audio. She comes to publishing by way of sound design for theater and live entertainment and primarily produces children's and young adult titles. So thanks for joining us today. We, we're we excited to talk about audio produ- audiobook production from the other side of the project. Uh, but before we jump into the nitty gritty, we want to know, how did you end up becoming an audiobook producer? Um, so I went to undergrad and grad school for sound design for theater. And after grad school, I moved to New York because that's where theaters were um, pre-pandemic and that time long ago. Um, so I started my career there. I eventually became the audio video supervisor at the new school in Manhattan. Um, and I loved it, but I was sick of working nights and weekends. (laughs) Um, so I ended up just sort of looking for another job that was industry adjacent that maybe had more of a nine to five work-life balance. Um, and I stumbled across a Harper posting and I said, that seemed pretty cool. I had Um, directed and produced um, a couple of projects in grad school, and I was familiar with that side of the industry as well. And so it was sort of like, how hard can it be for books? Turns out it is very different, but still (laughs) really fun. Um, And they gave me a chance. And so uh, I've worked my way up from there over the past four years, and I love my job. It's the best job in the world. So I read kids' books all day long. (laughs) That does sound like the best job in the world. I love kids' <laughs> books. So tell us, I'm going to be upfront. I don't do, I don't record audiobooks. So if anyone in the comments in the chat section is like, Alicia is not asking this question right, feel free to pop in and ask that ask that question, and we'll get it rephrased. Um, I did start in audiobooks and and really quickly realized it's a marathon. So let's talk about the bullet points of producing an audiobook. Like, what would you say are the the bullet points of producing an audiobook. Um, read the book. Uh, apparently, <laughs> that has surprised some people that the Harper producers actually read the book. But yes, we do, um, and we kind of intimately become familiar with the script. We break down what the casting needs are going to be and reach out um, to authors see if they have any other input as to something that we may not have seen or some sort of background information that we wouldn't have known about having just read the script. Um, And then we go into our casting process. And so we put together a casting list. We work with the author to find the best narrator or narrators. 
Um, and then we start to reach out to y'all and see if you have availability. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, just sort of going from there, working with y'all on pronunciation and trying to make sure that all questions are asked before we get the final recordable so that by the time y'all are in your booth, you have everything that you need to go on your journey. Um, and obviously we're always in pocket if you ever need to email us questions throughout the process. Um, but yeah, I believe that's pretty much the bullet points and then sending it to audible when everything's done. Awesome. So you guys don't put out a, um, a casting on audible. You keep a roster that you go to directly. Um, yeah, every producer does it a little differently. So there are some casting, um, resources. APAC has, or the APA has a bunch. We go to narrator speed dating events. We do APA Meet the Producer events, which I think now is called Director Diagnostic. Um, And so, and me personally, I have a lot of theater contacts or I'm looking into, you know, TV shows, things like that, things that are relevant to the book. Um, But yeah, for the most part, we have our narrators that we know do these things. And each time we meet new narrators, we... I kind of have a little catalog in my brain that says, oh, this would be perfect for these kind of things. And so I can pull up cold emails. Um, If you have some sort of uh, email listserv, put the producers on it that you've worked with so that you can keep us up to date with um, your latest projects, if you've won any awards. Um, And we keep in touch with, you know, earphones and things like that. But a lot of times I haven't gotten to that in my day before narrators let me know that we've won an earphone together. So things like that is always really exciting. Um, But yeah. That's so cool. It sounds like having a theater background really has made this a a perfect fit for you, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been very helpful. (laughs) Um, It also helps make the, the process of it a little less daunting. And when you're in New York, your first couple of years, at least as a designer, I'm not really sure on any other end of it, but I was designing, you know, up to 10 shows a month just to make rent because they're all equity showcase or something like that. And you're making $500 here, a couple hundred there. And so you're figuring out time management. So doing the 250, 300 audiobooks a year that each producer at Harper does is a lot more manageable coming from that environment. Wow. 250 to 300 audiobooks a year. That's like, that's almost one a day. I mean, if you don't take Saturdays (laughs) and Sundays, that's a lot. (laughs) Luckily, some of mine are picture books. So (laughs) that's so cool. So (laughs) what, who decides whether or not a book gets an audio version? I know personally, there was a book that was one of my kids' favorite books. And I reached out to to the author and said, I would love to narrate this book for you. And he was like, nope. I do. He actually let me send him an audition and he loved my narration, but he's like, I just feel like the book needs to be seen with pictures for it to mm-hmm. truly be what I intended. And so I, I love what you did, but I just don't want to have an audiobook version. So who makes those decisions in your department? Um, so generally, most of Harper's Frontless books do get an audio version nowadays. Um, and we have, you know, Sometimes we do backlist books that are pulled if we realize that they don't have an audiobook version or if we've done the second and third in a series, but we didn't do the first because at some point the audio rights were in somebody else's hands or something like that. So, so much of it depends on where the rights kind of fall at the time. And um, 
but yeah, pretty much all frontless books at Harper get audio versions right now. Um, and that those decisions are generally made above my pay grade. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So does the format of the book change, like maybe based on whether there are pictures that are part of this, what tells the story, or is the book literally always read as is? Um, we actually have, so especially on the kids side, I do a lot of graphic novel adaptations and we make them into more creative productions. So we don't go as far as to call it like an audio drama or extend into that category with a lot of them. But a, a significant portion of my job each season is recognizing which graphic novels are going to go to audio and working with the author to adapt them into an audio format. So I will write copy for visuals to into audio. I send it to the author. The author will say, no, this is terrible, or yes, this is great. Um, give me a couple of tweaks, and then we will add sound effects and musics, and we'll multicast um, if it's necessary to sort of make a book um, jump from a graphic format into something that is consumable in audio and it's fun for the listener, especially with kids, because you have to keep their attention. Um, <laughs> yeah. I understand that. I have I have five of them and definitely <laughs> it is important. So NJ, do you want to chip in? No, I just wanted to say I am so excited. My kids have always been massive graphic novel um, readers. And there's several that my son actually got to go to the National History Day uh, competition in Washington, D.C. based on a series of graphic novels um, that oh, wow. are for, yeah, for like, they're kind of more, uh, maybe a little middle grade or lower, um, hazardous, ta uh, uh, hazardous tales. Um, mm -hmm. I've completely forgotten his name. Okay, anyway, I should have brought it up. <laughs> but just the same, what an opportunity, because I could see you guys, especially you talking about having the theater background, I mean, the opportunity to really bring those to life. I wish some of them would turn into animation. Okay, I'm getting off track. But just to say, <laughs> graphic novels are fantastic, and e even for adults. And, and they're not just comic book. You know, it's not kind of that comic book style. Like they, it, It's pretty cool. So anyway, I think that's fantastic that you guys are transforming those as well. Yeah, it's it's one of my favorite parts of the job um, because I do get to flex those muscles and it's a really big creative push um, when, you know, if I have two in a season, you might not want to talk to me while I'm in the middle of it, but um, typically I have at least one and it's just, it's so much fun, especially getting in with, if it's an author read, we have a first cat in space series um, and the authors are so much fun in studio. They do most of the sound effects themselves. And so it's basically just vamping and, you know, really figuring out while we're in the thick of it, what's going to sound best, what's going to read best for audio. Um, so it really, they're super fun books to do. <laughs> Sounds like it. Plus you're making those books accessible to those who can't read, you know, and people who, yeah. who can't see or um, maybe have dyslexia, for example. We have some friends with children with dyslexia and they, they can't enjoy those books quite the same way. So that's pretty neat. That's a great point. When you're in this process, what else needs to happen before they're ready to cast for voice talent? Like anything we missed in that prep before you're like, okay, I'm ready to cast. Not, I mean, we go through a process of learning about the books. Probably we're talking about the books about a year before we actually get to our casting process. Um, so we're in meetings learning about, you know, um, 
sort of the nuances of them, where they're going to be marketed, things like that. And then um, like right now I would be casting for like next winter. So, which our winter season is like January to May. Um, so that's, I'm casting about six months out um, for on sale dates. Um, but with so many plates in the air, I'm not really ever sure where I'm at in the process with anything <laughs> because it's literally just the list of, okay, is this the cast? This is with, you know, this studio or this is where, you know, here or there. I'm moving on to this book. I'm pulling up the manuscript. I have a couple manuscripts open at a time. Um, talking with editors, talking with authors. Um, yeah, I don't, yeah, I'm not really sure if there's anything other than what I've spoken through. It's really cool to hear the other side of it, you know, like, <laughs> but by the time that we get an audition, you have spent so much time loving this book and putting heart and soul into it. And then we get to take it and um, audition. So that's pretty cool. So who generally decides on the voice for a project? Is it the rights holder, the producer, author? Generally, it's a discussion between the author, the editor, and the producer. Um, so each book is its own magical unicorn in the universe. Sometimes if we're doing a backlist book where the author might not be alive anymore, we might be working with estate holders or a trust, something like that. But yeah, at Harper, it really is a conversation. We're not unilaterally making any decisions because we want to make the best book possible for the author because they have lived with this book for way longer than any of us have. And so we don't want to put anything out in the universe for them that they just have to live with. We really want them to enjoy the product that we're creating and make sure that they have a hand in what gets put out. That's awesome. I, I know there was an author I was working with who didn't have the, she didn't have the right to choose her um, narrator and that frustrated her. And um, I think it's really cool that you always keep the creative person involved in the process, the creative, like you're not all creative. <laughs> um, so how often, how often it does an author prefer to narrate their own work? And how do you as a producer feel about that? Um, I love author reads because, you know, you get to work in the studio, you're working with somebody who generally knows the material pretty well. So you're not dealing with a lot of pronunciation issues, things like that. But it depends on the imprint, really, how many author reads we have. Like in kids, we don't have that many author reads. Maybe I'll have five a season. But some other of our imprints that are largely celebrity or bigger name authors, they'll record their own. So yeah, there isn't like a distinct number, like it's this many each year. Um, but it's, you know, sometimes I'll have more, sometimes I'll have less. Um, and I enjoy working with them, but there are a lot of times where, you know, there are moments where, hey, you know, here's an audition from a professional narrator and the author will be like, oh yeah, that's that's great. Let's just move on with that. So it's, it's definitely a balance at looking at the material, looking at, um, you know, if it's not a perform someone with a performance background, then it is a little harder for them maybe to handle the amount of voices that would be in a kid's book because you have adults, you have some kids as young as two years old, you know, babies. So there is a wide range of performance that are in a lot of these books that after a real conversation with the author, they'll be like, oh, yeah, I can totally handle that. Or eh, maybe that's better left to the professionals. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
which is great too. <laughs> yeah, it's I you know I enjoy both for sure. As a listener, as a listener, I prefer. Yeah, <laughs> I enjoy both. So, um, what are some of the criteria that you use when deciding on the voice for a book? Is it solely performance based, or do you listen to their um, audio quality? What kinds of things do you use? Um, so it depends if I'm, if I have a book that has a budget where we need to stick with someone who maybe has a home studio and that could relieve some of our recording costs, something like that, then I'll look at studio samples, things like that. But even for the most part in those instances, if there is the equipment, I still would like to give the best performer the opportunity. And so if you have a home studio that maybe the sample isn't sounding super great, I will have my post team reach out and say, hey, maybe we can make some adjustments and like they'll talk with you through, maybe it would be better if you were over here, maybe facing this other way. Um, so there are consultations that can happen before I'm just like, oh, the sample's terrible, never, you know. But a lot of <laughs> the biggest thing in producing, especially with the high volume that we're handling at Harper, if I love your sample on Audible and I just can't imagine anyone else for this book, if I can't find a way to contact you on the internet within five minutes, I will not cast you. <laughs> huh. uh, so if, you know, if we can't find a way to reach you for an audition, if we can't, and we'll go through outside sources, we'll ask all of our producer friends, we'll do the whole, you know, shenanigans, especially if it's like, this is the person. But if I can't find your contact information, how am I going to cast you on this book? So if it's super important for especially newer narrators where your your contact information might not be in the producing zeitgeist to have a website or have something that has your contact information readily available. Even put it like right at the top of your website. This is my agent email or my my direct contact or have some sort of contact form and check those emails. Um because you know, we might be sending auditions to if we're looking to have three people on a casting list, I'll send auditions to six to 10 people. And the people who come back to me soonest, I'm on a deadline too, you know? Um, so having that contact information and especially just jumping into my favorite new narrator um, topic in the whole world is websites. Um, have a website, even if it's just one little page that just has everything right. I don't care about formatting. What I want to see is if you have a home studio, what equipment's in your home studio, have a raw sample from your home studio that is not mastered because we we take raw audio for Harper and we have it posted on our end. So we're not going to ask you to master anything like that, but I do want to hear what your booth sounds like. Um, and then have samples of any genre that you want to get hired for. So that I can say, oh, here's a romance, male, you know, POV. These are the accents in the sample. I'm going to take a listen to it. I can send that to an author. A big sample that I don't often find um, on narrator websites or through Audible, things like that, are um, narrations in verse. So poetry oh. or I do quite a bit of... Um, long form verse in kids books. Um, and so having that sample up, you're already, you know, in the 1% of people who, who have samples that aren't always readily available. 
awesome. That is, you just spit out so much amazing information right there. (laughs) Like, I just want to copy and paste that everywhere. Um, For our listeners who may not have heard our podcast episodes about websites before, we reiterate this very highly to have your contact information above the fold. And um, Voice Actor Websites has a free version that is, it takes 15 minutes to set up a basic website. I mean, it is so so simple and it doesn't cost anything. So um, check that out. I can't remember. What is the name, um, JT? It's voiceactor.com. Thank you. Yes, voiceactor.com. You can set up a free profile. So that's a great way for our listeners to get something out there. So what um, do you guys use? I mean, you said that you don't typically have VO do their own editing. So you have editors in-house or you're not doing that, right? With home studio narration and studio narration, we do punch record. So a lot of the editing is basically handled as far as making the story sound good from one end to the other. Um, But yeah, we do have editors. We'll hire editors out um, to make sure that there's no, you know, noise in the thing. We also have a QC process. So it goes, it, it hits a few different people before the final audio actually makes it to audible. Um, so it, it comes in to us first, which has already been through a QC process. And then we listen to it on our end and, um, just make sure that everything is good to go. Um, and then obviously that's where you're going to get your pickup requests, things of that nature. Um, but yeah, we don't require the, we actually prefer (laughs) the narrators (laughs) not do any sort of mastering on their samples because, we have things that we have to have in our samples that go or in our audio that go to audible. We're just like basically checking boxes on file formats, things that have to sound a certain way. So if you put processing on the audio before you sent it to us, we are now trying to take that off when it could have just not been there in the first place. So you can't ever take processing off once you send us the MP3 or whatever. And so wave file sorry, not in three, but we can't take that processing off. So we'll have to do more onto that. And it will sound worse than if you just would have sent us the raw audio and we could process it on our end. Um, which we do, you know, how many books a year. <laughs> so yeah. we're pretty good at it at this point. So you have the, you hire the narrator and then they submit the audio to you and then you master it and submit it to ACX that off the narrator isn't submitting on their own to ACX. No. So we actually don't submit to ACX. We go to audible. Sorry. Specific. Yes. Yeah. ACX is yeah. The narrator indie platform, but um, yeah. So we, we work with outside producers who will help us with editing QC, help us with scheduling. They're also your SAG after pay masters. We handle all of that. We submit on our end. Everything is, dated and we have a lot of deadlines that we have to hit everything has to be within a very strict amount of parameters to be able to upload to all of the platforms because we have multiple distributors outside of just audible um right so yeah everything needs to be standardized which is just a lot easier if we can control it on our end makes sense um, and you said that you will occasionally uh, browse somewhere like AC do you go to ACX you said audible I think but um where narrators have profiles set up and you're looking for someone who fits a certain sample type? Yeah. Um, it really depends on, 
what headspace I'm in that day, uh, which, you know, which avenue I'm going to take, especially with a difficult or very specific casting need. Um, and so that's where your website is going to be extremely helpful because there are times where I just hit a wall and I'm like, I don't know what else to do, but just Google exactly what I need. And so if you put any random skills, I've had to Google just like narrators who know Klingon, like any, any skill that you have, put it on your website so that robots can find it. Um, because sometimes your producers are just out there waiting to find you if you have the right information for us to find. Um, and if you have that very specific skill, we are way more, we're way more invested in making that, uh, like if you're a new narrator, you have no books, then we will work with you if you have such a specific skill that, you know, not every narrator off the, like on, in any of your, like, speed dating I keep calling it speed dating I think it's APA quick pitch now but you know there's a lot of skills that a lot of narrators have but if you have something even if you know a lot about yoga or meditation or things that you wouldn't immediately think to put on your website we have self-help books that come in we have scientific books if you were a biology major we have medical books that come through and we need people who are comfortable with the language so it sounds like the narrator knows what they're talking about and they're not stumbling over these words. Um, so yeah, put anything out there because we're typing in narrator and keywords sometimes just to find what we need. Wow. It's <laughs> we, you know, we, as the narrators sometimes sit back and think, Oh, we're, we're filtering through all these things to find somebody to hire us, but you are struggling to find the people to hire just as much because it can get very specific. Yeah, I've had to find Belizean Creole before, which is a very specific language. And so, if you know, if you know Belizean Creole, put it up there. Um, <laughs> so, you know, just any any skills are, um, I have a lot of Dungeons and Dragons um, kids books that come through. And so if a narrator has familiarity with that, like my husband loves Dungeons and Dragons. So half the time I'm like, can you help me with this pronunciation? But narrators who have familiarity with that, then we have a better time in the studio because we're not stumbling over, oh, how do we need to pronounce it? Things like that, because they've been working with it for so long. Um, yeah. So really just any interest, any skills that you have is useful. Um, and if you do get into like a quick pitch um, or like a director diagnostic session or something through the APA, just put that information out there um, because we're writing it down. <laughs> Good to know. So get that, get your short list of your skills that may be unique and have it ready to go. What, uh, what is the average expected turnaround time for a project? Like maybe um, how long from start to finish on completing an audiobook? Uh, from the producer side or the narrator side? Uh, the narrator side. So narrators, I, like I said, right now I'm casting for, um, I believe like February due dates. We get the scripts, like the final recordable scripts. I will cast out probably six months before the due date and probably four months before your first audio is due. So you'll be cast, you'll have a prep script. And you'll be working with that prep script to do any pronunciation research, um, anything that 
you need from the producers. I would rather you ask me a thousand questions that I have to sift through than assume that you know how to say one word. And then all of a sudden we have to record a thousand pickups because the book is called something with the word pecan and the author would prefer it as pecan, but you're from the South in a place that says pecan. And now we have a thousand pickups. Um, not speaking from direct experience. (laughs) 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 So I, you know, the producers are here for you. The producers are your liaison to the project and to the author and coming to us with, Hey, this person's from, um, they're first generation American, American, but their parents are from Mexico. Do the parents need a slight accent? Would the kid have some, you know, and any of that, I'm so happy to talk through with you. Um, because a, it shows me that you're really interested in the project and that you have been doing your prep work. Um, so I, I worry less if I get more questions because I'm like, that person's on it. Like, I'm not going to get a bunch of questions right before, you know, while the author's out of town right before we record or something. Um, that's really yeah. great to know because I think sometimes narrators feel like they're going to seem unprofessional or like they don't know enough if they ask too many questions. So that's that's really great information to know. So it looks like we are at the half hour and we'll do a quick room reset. If you've just joined us, we are VO Booth Besties. This is our VO 101 series where we discuss fundamental topics about getting into the voiceover industry. And today we are joined by Almeida Bainan, senior audiobook producer at HarperCollins, to talk about audiobooks. Thank you for joining us and be sure to stick around for two announcements at the end of the hour. Back to our interview. Awesome. So NJ, before we continue on with questions, I'd love to turn it over to you to ask any questions from the chat. Yes. So it has been hopping in the chat today. Great conversation. (laughs) So Mike Holcomb says, what are Harper's minimum noise floor standards for booths and what delivery format for each... What do you think FH means? We don't know. Okay. So how do you how do you get files and what is your minimum noise floor standard if you know? Ooh, I believe we're 44116, but that would be for my production managers too. <laughs> I don't immediately have the sheet in okay, front that's of me. Right. Um we do have a team of in-house production managers who are fabulous. Um and our specs will come to you on offer. Um, so that answers, I mean, really you need to submit, excuse me, and then you guys will provide that information. Yeah. And if there is some kind of noisy thing in the sample of your booth, then we will work with people to try and eliminate that. Especially when the pandemic hit, we were, you know, in New York trying to record people that had 10 roommates and they're in a closet and we're hearing toilets flushing and, you know, so we'll work with you. Well, kind of like, um, oh my goodness, excuse me, <clears throat> like A.B. mentioned earlier, folks, for any genre of voiceover right now, especially because everyone and their dog is trying to be a voice actor and because we're all working from home still, you just, for any genre, audiobook, commercial or otherwise, you just have to have your studio space right. And we have also did, we've done several episodes of previous podcasts with audio engineers. We've talked about studio space. So go back and listen to those. This is not just applicable to audiobook narration. You need to have your studio space fantastic, fantastic going forward. So let's keep going. Laura, is Almeida or Flash Harper willing to work with new narrators? Absolutely. 
right. Easy peasy. Uh, we, we work with new narrators all the time. Um, and a lot of times we find them because we get a cold email that says, hey, I'm a new narrator. These are my samples. This is my website. This is my booth. Um, yep. Love to work with you. I have Excellent. an email folder full of them. And they're great, Excellent. great resource. Put your skills in that email too. Okay. <laughs> All right. If you're working with Harper through a middleman, JMM, should all communication stay through JMM or is it ever appropriate to reach out to contact Harper directly? So with JMM, you know, especially if you're talking with Zane or Cam or something like that, they are very quick to get us any questions. Um, but you can also ask them like, hey, I have a lot of questions. It would be great if I could just talk to the producer directly would they be comfortable with that and for the most part we're not going to tell you no um especially if it's a narrator that we work with a lot we'll develop you know relationships where we'll just be like hey are you available for this something like that if an author specifically wants them um so not you know when your newer narrator is still getting to know us definitely just pop through and say hey would it be okay if i reached out to them can you give me their contact information and Zane will set that up for, or whoever you're speaking with through whatever outside studio you're using. But yeah, we're never like, oh, we never want to talk to the narrator. Like you're, you're a big part of the process. We love, we love hearing okay. from you. <laughs> so also, this is a question actually I have that nobody, I don't think anybody asked. Is Harper Collins trying to work primarily with union actors? Or is it um, both? We have worked with both. Um, I honestly don't even really know when they okay. are union or not until it comes to their contracting with people like jmm the sag paymaster and i know that there are some people some paymasters that can only work with sag after or people who are intending to join I so i'm not i'm not really sure how that side of it works okay we don't typically pay directly Okay. All right. Perfect. Roberta asked, if you or Harper accept submissions from new narrators, how should we do that? And what information do you want? Um, I can put my email address in the chat and you can send me just a quick pitch into my inbox. Um, I have a folder that I keep everything in. And if I'm strapped or if I'm looking, you know, for something specific, I'll type into that folder, you know, if somebody has a language requirement that I need or again, skills. So I would put your booth information at link to your samples and list out some of your skills that wouldn't normally, um, that are unique in that email. Um, and that way you can be searchable in every format that you've given us. That is incredibly generous of you. And we are really appreciative. That is awesome. Um, Matt asks, what websites would you recommend for audiobook castings or auditions outside of Audible? Or do you know? I'm not sure I understand that question, but the APA has a, the Audiobook Publishers Association. They have a lot of resources for things like that. And a lot okay. of times, if you're a member, I think that they do a lot of free workshops and stuff, especially for branding Okay, and for getting out there. All right. Um, Rebecca asks, who chooses the audition excerpts? At Harper, it's generally the producers. Okay. Uh, okay. Oh, back. Okay. Then Amy asks, back to the raw, unmastered sample. Do you need a certain length? Do you want 30 seconds, a minute? I would do between 
three to five minutes just in case. Oh, okay. Um, Excellent. Because we're doing longevity. Um, we want to make sure that we'll have it running in the background if there's a weird beep or just something in your environment that happens. Um, some people, you know, will probably in reality only listen to a short clip of it, but having that longevity is really helpful. Yeah. And it, and it'll show stamina. It, I agree. That's, that's, that's a great, a great thing and to know. If you're doing a booth sample, do it with a cool book that on something that you want to be cast as, cause we're also listening to performance. So. Of course. Great point. Adam asked for punch and roll with a book with multiple characters. Is it best to change back and forth on the fly or record all lines of a certain character at the same time and then edit it together? Um, the things that I think that Adam's speaking to, it's better to just record them all at once. And right. then we have, we have editors that'll put it together. Yeah. I can. And that's, and that's how you would do an audiobook anyway. You wouldn't just yeah. record lines in one character and then just, yeah. So that, that may also just be for folks who might be newer to the industry. You need to also know how to, as you're reading dialogue, to be able to, if you're doing character work, you need to be able to, as seamlessly as possible, switch between accents or characters or dialects or whatever you're working on uh, as you're reading. You wouldn't just record one character's lines and then record another. And it already takes enough time to edit (laughs) an audiobook. I Mm -hmm. can't even imagine trying to piece it all together. Okay. Let's see. Um, do you want room tone or raw narrate or not raw narration for the studio check? You can do a little bit of both. On the room tone, that can be a shorter sample. Well, excellent. All right, A B, do you want to pop back up for golly, this has been amazing. Like we have just gotten (laughs) so much information. Do you want to pop back up for a few more questions? Yeah, we um we have quite a few more questions. So Let's say we, let's say you're getting a demo from a new to you narrator. What are what are you looking for specifically? Consistency between the characters. Um, and what I'm always listening for is the transition between narration and dialogue. I want to hear how the whole book will sound like as an arc. Um, and so there, in an audiobook, there's always um, like really just taking that character work and saying, okay, is this third person omniscient or is this third person limited? If it's omniscient, then we can have a little more distance between the reader and the narrator. But if it's limited, then we need to really be, it. You basically be treating it as a slightly pulled away first person perspective. So you are still feeling what that char- the main character is feeling, even though we are speaking about them in third person. Um, and then when we switch to dialogue, having, you know, the seamless transition and having that little heightened, um, moment where we know that it is dialogue, because there are a lot of times where they're not giving us the prompt of he said, he said, she said, so being distinct in whatever choice you're making for each character. And that doesn't mean be super animated. And this is something that happens with newer kids narrators a lot. They think, oh, it's a kid's book. I need to be animated. I need to act like things on Nickelodeon. And that's not true. You want to play to the authenticity of the story, especially because in kids books, just like in most adult books, you are hitting some pretty big topics. 
you're just doing it from a way of now we're educating tiny humans on what they're about to be going through and what they're experiencing. So you do want to maintain that authenticity. You just gave us a masterclass on uh, uh, narrating <laughs> audiobooks. So speaking of classes, are there any classes or training that you specifically recommend for voice actors who want to get into audiobook narration? I don't because I have never narrated. So um, I, the resource that we send out most most prominently is the APA. There are tons of narrators and things that do their own workshops um, that have their own master classes. Um, but I and I've spoken at a lot of them. I've been on panels or been guest lectures at them, um, and they're all great. It just depends on what you want as a narrator, like what kind of stuff you want to be narrating, um, who you would enjoy working with, if you like a class as opposed to one-on-one -on -one coaching. Um, and again, the APA website has plenty of those resources too. Fabulous. Do you, or does HarperCollins host events where people can learn more about HarperCollins? That was a question we had. Um, we don't host events specific to HarperCollins, but pretty much every APA event, we will have at least one Harper rep. So at least one of our producers sit on the panels, sit on the speed dating, sit on the director's diagnostics. And so we're, we're out there in the industry. There's people at, at APAC, the big um, convention once a year. Um, and so really just having that that big like collective industry resource is where we meet people. Um, and it's great for narrators because it's all of the producers have access to these events too. So you're not just sitting in front of Harper, you're sitting in front of Harper, PRH, Brilliance, everyone. So. Yeah. Sounds great. So what are the top traits that you look for in narrators, like storytelling, characters, accents, or does it truly just depend on the specific book? Everything is, especially, especially with Harper, we are very, very specific to our casting. We basically go to a granular level with the amount of specificity in our casting. Um, and so it, it just depends on what the book is. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like a science book, you're going to be looking for someone who understands, like you said, a, you know, has a degree in biology or somebody who maybe has a medical background, something like that. Or if they have a sample on their website where it really can convince me, the author and the editor, that they know how to approach these topics without sounding like they are a narrator who didn't have skills previously to this. Because obviously you can work with a voice coach and get a dialect. You can work with these things. So I'm not, you know, I'm not worried about that, especially for like auxiliary characters. But um, yeah, we would like people who are approaching the book to feel comfortable in what they're narrating or willing to learn to a way, to a degree that they do sound um, like they know what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, and that's the key, right, is being willing to learn in, in any industry, but specifically with audiobooks and, and narration. I know I narrated a, a course for um, high school um, AP physics. I did oh. not take AP physics in high school, <laughs> and I had to spend quite a bit of time researching for that. So that is something I don't think a lot of narrators maybe take into consideration is that they're going to need to learn about what they're talking about and feel comfortable in it. 
So how often are you casting multicast projects versus one narrator doing all of the voices? Um, in kids, so I like to say that because I do Harper Kids and um, Harper Via. And so Via is an adult uh, or a trade imprint. So it's mostly adult books. But with kids, which is a majority of my books, it's kind of like all of the Harper adult imprints, but for the kids' age ranges. So we have kind of everything within the kids' imprints. And so I would say that me as a producer, I probably have a higher percentage of my books being multicast because we have a lot of short story collections. We have a lot of multiple POV, a lot of like things that have episodes of podcasts or transcriptions of YouTube videos in there. And so we also have to take those things into consideration. So maybe sometimes I'm not multicasting for a full dual POV, but there are sections of the book that only exist in YouTube transcript, which I can't just have one narrator for. Um, so I would say that my percentage is probably 40, 30 to 40% of my books are multi POV or multi-narrator books. That is really interesting. I never thought about things like transcriptions or that's, that's fascinating. So (laughs) how often do you direct the narrators live or online? And what does that process look like? It depends on what book it is, if I'm going to direct or not. A lot of times, you know, if it's a book in verse and maybe the narrator has never worked in that medium before, I will either get them started for the first day or I'll sit through the whole session. Um, I obviously can't direct every single one of my books. There isn't enough time. Um, But yeah, so if it's a narrator who has maybe never done an audiobook before, then I'll at least get them started, if not sit with them for the whole process. Um, most of the time, it'll be sitting with them. But yeah, basically, it's just if the book has some sort of element, like I direct all the graphic novel adaptations, because I'm writing the script for them, and they're multicast, and they have sound design elements, and they have music. And so I have to be there to say like, oh, give a pause here because we're going to put a sound design or like something's going to cut you off in a sound effect. So act like it. (laughs) So yeah, it, it really depends on the season and what books I have, how many I direct. So what are the differences in narrating fiction versus nonfiction or adult versus children's or YA? Yeah. For listeners who don't have children at home. (laughs) Yeah. Fiction versus nonfiction, I think the biggest difference is that with nonfiction, you will mostly be coming from the perspective of an actual human. I think that's what I keep referring to with like the science books or the self-help books or things like that, because you are given like the author is trusting you with their perspective and with things that they know to be true. So you are representing that person as opposed to if you're doing something in fiction where you are taking on a character that you and the producer and the editor and the author have all agreed on, this is what this character is going to be. So there is a distance between the author and the main characters in the book, as opposed to with nonfiction. Now, there, is, there are third-person nonfiction. There's plenty of things about, you know, memoirs about other people or things like that. But most of the time, your author is going to have tighter um, relationship with the material 
and how it's presented as opposed to fiction. Obviously, there are plenty of fiction books also where the main character is representative of the author, but you can work that character out a little more. Sorry, I guess the nuances were a little more (laughs) nuanced than I thought. And then with Kids in YA, I think that's what, uh, and Trade, I think that's what I was speaking to before is you want to be able to hit the authenticity in kids of a wider range of, you'll normally have a wider range of characters in ages and you are dealing with emotions that are unidentified and um, it's kind of hard to explain. They're basically like, this is the first time that this kid would be experiencing it. And so you have to have a little more, a little more like empathy for the character because I have a lot of people who will read, like first read, they'll read the bully character as sort of this like over the top, like, like Harold from Hey Arnold or something. And, but there are those moments where you have to connect with that bully. That bully's also going through something. And later on in the book, the main character is also going to realize that. And so in trade titles, you have a similar situation but I think that there there's definitely less of an age range and there isn't there isn't so much of a push for your initial read to be so animated. Um, I think that most of the time narrators approach an adult read kind of the opposite way where they come at you as like either a Michael Bay kind of voiceover if it's this particular type of genre or they're coming at it as more of a documentarian style if it's third person where it's it's truly just about the authenticity. So I think that there isn't a difference in the authenticity between kids and trade. It's just how people normally approach it and how to strip down to find it. Awesome. That was, thank you for that. Like you boiled it all down really beautifully. Um, I, JT, I think we have some more questions from the chat or NJ, one of you. Yep. A couple more. Um, and we're kind of switching gears here. Let me start with Laura. She wants to know, is there a non-compete clause between publishers for narrators? Not that I know of. I know most narrators work with all of the publishers. Okay. And Dominique kind of ties into that. Do you share narrators with the other producers? Um, Say she met somebody from Harper who wasn't you. Is it safe to assume that you would know her or should she still reach out to introduce herself to you too? Most of the time, if you're reaching out to one of us, uh, we'll send it to our producer email. And a lot of times the way that uh, new narrators are, we have a producer chat that's kind of running and it's like, hey, you know, does anyone have anybody who I can audition for this particular type of book? And that's when somebody will be like, oh, I have this email from this person. I can forward it to you. And, you know, unless we've already sent it to the entire group. Nice. Roberta wants to know in the email, do you want samples attached as a file or a link to the samples? I would probably prefer a link just because then I could see everything else on your website. Like it's a little more condensed, but either way. Okay. And interesting question I hadn't really thought about. Amy wants to know uh, how you feel about U2's transcription role in a recording. So... I I can speak to one specific example. I just had a book where the kid was wanting to be a document like a documentary filmmaker and so the entire book took place in his narration from his point of view, but him and his best friend who was a girl, they had YouTube 
uh, or they did documentary style interviews with all of the townspeople to try to like get to the core of this mystery. And so we had the main girl and the main guy POV, but then we had like 10 other characters that we had to basically cast people who could multi-voice those, um, who could like, they had to sound more like adults. And so that's an example of that. I'm not really sure if that's answering the question, but yeah, it comes at us in all kinds of different ways. There's tons of text messaging. I have books that are written, like a lot of teen mystery books are written in a different perspective, news articles, um, transcriptions from people's Facebook page, like their Facebook live. And so it's all the like different ways that the evidence can come in to the teenager who ultimately is figuring out the the mystery. I love that. We are basically, we have filled an hour and I think we could probably fill another one, but um, <laughs> NJ, you want to take over? Yes, we do try to respect your time, but you have just, yeah, like JT said, you've been amazing. Um, before you go, though, we like to ask our guests three for fun questions, kind of James Lipton style. And the first one is, what singer, band, or composer are you listening to right now? Who's on the top of the playlist? Um, I probably Pink Floyd right now, just because I'm I'm in my feels about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's awesome. The dark side, yes, dark side of the moon. What um what podcast? If you listen to podcasts, have you been listening to lately? One of it's I forgot exactly what it's called, but um, it's the True Crime Bride is what it's called. And <laughs> I was going to say, it's going to be a one about crime. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually not that into him, but uh, she was a photographer who did my headshots in New York a couple of years ago. And she started a, she's getting married. And so she's doing a podcast about like newlyweds and nearlyweds that have had some tragedy. And it's really great. So. Oh, okay. 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 That's a little different than what I thought. I thought we were still on like, <laughs> how to murder our husband and get away with it. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, I don't normally what? listen to him, but I was interested because it was her. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. And the last question is, what is your favorite dessert? Uh, creme brulee. Oh. All right. We can be yes. friends. So we're good. <laughs> mm. <laughs> All right, JT, over to you. All right, here are the first of the two items that we mentioned at the top of the hour. Next Thursday is a work day. Steve Corona will be joining us to listen to some of your audiobook samples. Head over to the VO Booth Besties Facebook group for details on what to submit, how to submit, and where to submit, and then we will play those back and uh, go over those with Steve as many as we can next Thursday. And the second thing is that on Thursday, August 17th, we will be live by Zoom instead of the clubhouse. It's a special bestiversary show. We will be making announcements about a few big changes, and we're going to be giving away Besties merch to three random audience members. So you're going to want to be in the audience. And meanwhile, be sure to connect with each of us on LinkedIn and join the VO Booth Besties Facebook group. Replays are always available to listen to on our website, boothbesties.com. Uh, it is on me to get the YouTube podcast updated, so give me a minute on that. Uh, but you're able to listen to it anywhere you listen to podcasts. Be sure to share your comments, like, and subscribe. It really helps us get the information out there and get more views. 
Sign up for the VO Booth Besties Monday newsletter so you know what's coming up in the next week ahead, and you'll find discounts from our affiliate partners there as well. Monday night, we're going to continue our audiobook series with our guest, Spotify senior audiobook producer, Rafina DeAngelis. So we hope to catch you on Monday for more amazing information. Thank you all for being here and have a great rest of your day. Bye. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of VO Booth Besties. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Well, pretty much anywhere they're playing podcasts. And follow us on Instagram and Facebook so we can keep the conversation going. VO Booth Besties. Yeah, it's a thing. thing.